And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, thanks for coming by. It's Civilized Barking, it's Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd. We are about an hour or so uh, removed from a thrilling and memorable preseason victory. The Browns scored first and hung on to defeat the Giants 17-13. Next week, Kevin Stefanski can join Hugh Jackson in an illustrious group of Browns coaches to oversee an undefeated preseason. Um, Jason, uh, I'm clearly I'm joking about that, and we'll talk big picture issues. But we are both here. We are recording after this game because. Um, you know, this is as meaningless as it is, right, as the stadium was half empty or 60% empty, whatever. Anything at all that sticks out <coughs> oh, uh, easy for me to say. Anything at all uh, that sticks out for you from, from the four quarters of football to, we saw today? Boy, you're asking a lot. And first of all, that comes with an asterisk because it's only three games and Hugh coached them to four. Yes. So th- there's an asterisk there. Uh, so what stands out? You know, I think what stood out to me really was, I said this to you during the game, to me, this is the deepest set of, of running backs I of my lifetime of, of watching the Browns, and that goes back to the 80s. You know, Dearness Johnson is a, is a legitimate NFL running back, and Demetric Felton is really, you know, he's going to have his opportunities. He's such a weapon and can do so many different things. That, you know, I think he makes his team as a seventh receiver slash fourth running back. But just the depth of, of the running backs, I know that's probably not what you were looking for. Um, you know, I mean, the fact Mac Wilson was on the field as much as he was today, I think was surprising. You pointed that out. Um, but, you know, just just the depth that they have across the offensive line and in this in this backfield. I, I don't remember a deeper set of running backs on any Browns team of my lifetime. Well, first of all, that's a fine answer because if you would have asked me, I would have said, uh, I don't know <laughs> what <Well, laughs> stood out from today. Um, it is a good point, and I wrote it. My, my observations column is already up. Uh, you guys probably won't hear this for hours or, or maybe even days, and that's fine. But um, Dearness Johnson is an NFL player, and I, I, I think you know I've been wrong before, but I, I think people that have thought Felton beats out Dearness Johnson, I don't think it's those two necessarily against one another. Now, if they come down to they're in that last group of seven players where only three make it, it is. But Dearness Johnson is hard-nosed blocker, plays every special team, is played in the league, can line up at fullback, can go in there and just give you straight-ahead runs where he's going to finish with his nose and shoulder forward, right? Whereas Demetrik Felton is part-time running back, part-time receiver, has a lot of shake. I think you know Andrew Barry's on record saying his eventual role could be third down back. Is it right now? Well, Kareem Hunter third down back, right? So, um, look, the, these are good problems to have. And, and I'm not sitting here saying that the Browns have the best roster in the league or that eight guys they cut are going to get claimed in that first 24-hour period. But there's some real depth here. Um, 
I think you frame it in a really interesting way, saying you've never seen a group this deep. I, I think that's probably accurate. Um, you know, Kareem and, and Nick are different. They're pretty similar. They're bigger backs. They're not afraid of contact. Kareem looks for the contact. Um, you know, Nick is is a power runner, the definition uh, of a power runner, yet can hit the home run at any time. So, um, you know, you're looking at it, how guys complement one another, right? And just like the old scouting term in the receiver room is you're building a basketball team. Yes, you want to take the best guys, but you want them to be different. You want a little guy. You want an inside guy. You want an outside guy that's your big rebounder, your power forward, right? So, yeah, it's an interesting skill set, and and I think Demetri Felton makes the team. And this is a little bit aggravating here. Um, every time it seems like we tweet or write about a guy like Kaderil Hodge today, who I like and who I think makes the team, you know, he scores that touchdown in the preseason. And the first response on my Twitter is, there's no way they're cutting him. Well, I don't know. <laughs> there's no way. And only 53 guys make the team. And so, yeah, Jason, I think you can say in your 40-some years on this earth, this is the best Browns running back group. Well, it's starting to make a real case for the best run, rest roster. It certainly is the best roster of the 23 years back in the league. And, you know, little injuries and little things. It doesn't mean that they're headed to L.A. in February, but it is a really impressive roster. Really, really good. So I was going to get to this later, but let's just go ahead and get to it now. Because, again, we talked about it during the game a little bit. The Jacob Phillips conundrum, I think, is really interesting because – this is probably the most difficult decision that the Browns have had in getting to 53. So what do you do with a guy like Phillips who you were counting on to be a big time contributor? He may not get on the field till December. So, you know, you were saying during the game, you got to IR him now, or you got to put him on the 53. Now, if you're, if you're going to IR him, so he's going to burn a spot. So basically it comes down to, are you going to burn a spot on your original 53 and, and who do you end up losing as a result of that? Are you losing a developmental offensive lineman? Or who, who are you losing? And, and like you said, if you're playing for eight games, 18, 19, and 20, if you're trying to play deep into January and into February, maybe you do carry a guy now that you know isn't going to play until December. Yeah, I mean, the thing you're referencing is if Jacob Phillips goes on IR now, then his season is over. For, for a guy to be eligible for IR to return, and it is the same rule as last year, minimum three weeks, no, no limit of guys that can do it, he has to be on the initial 53 um, on August 31st slash September 1. Now, 24 hours later, he can go on IR, and then he's eligible to return at any time. So, yeah, that is, that is an interesting decision because he's got a torn bicep, right? And so you're looking at, okay, the surgery goes well. Okay, the rehab goes well. Well, what's today, Jason? August 21st? I mean, four months exactly puts you into week 16 of the NFL season. So, you know, is he going to be ready to go? Uh, I don't know. I'm clearly not a doctor. I've never had a bicep muscle to tear uh, either to go through it, right? But, like, that is an interesting thing. I think in the meantime, you know, what it means is is that there's no hiding JOK. Um, there's no being delicate with JOK. Not to say that they're the same guy or they say the same position, but I think you could take a look and say, okay, they're not going to start JOK in the base defense. They're going to bring him along, and they're going to have him in a role where he's either in a certain package or, let's say, matching up with Travis Kelsey, which is already, like, wild to think about a 21-year-old rookie doing that, right? Well, now you take a guy who was your number two at two spots in your base defense, which you're never going to play, and was one of your one of your two who's on the field in the nickel defense, which you're going to play 60 to 75% of the time, and you've lost him. So good thing you got Anthony Walker, right? And they trust him, going to be team captain, signal caller, all that. But 
all of a sudden, JOK becomes in that mix there. All of a sudden, Mac Wilson becomes in that mix there. And you're going to need those guys. So, yeah, is 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 to get back to your original thought, as far as roster competition and making this shake out, same deal. They have this rookie fifth rounder, Tony Fields. He hasn't taken a snap. He got hurt the second day of training camp, right? Um, if you Even if you want to IR him, if you do it now, his whole rookie year is over. So you're, you risk exposing him. And, and maybe given his injuries, nobody keeps – you know, nobody takes a shot at him. But – this is something the Browns are going to look at. You mentioned the O-line. Well, I think a team is invested in its O-line and is invested in the run game and its identity as it is. I think you keep nine offensive linemen, right? One's Chris Hubbard, who's only under contract for this year, who's older, who's got an injury history. Another's James Hudson, who's a flat-out rookie, who was a defensive lineman only three years ago. He's still learning the game, right? Um, there, there's some really complicated decisions here. I, I, I cannot call Kaderil Hodge a lock. You know, they, they've two different staffs have liked him as a wide receiver. He's been an important special teams player. Um, I think what it comes down to now, Jason, is that Grant Delpit and Anthony Schwartz giving you nothing to this point, but you knowing that they're going to be on the 53, boy, that really increases the chance that you're going to lose a good player to someone else. That's exactly where I wanted to go next. How many spots can this team with Super Bowl aspirations burn on a 53 that they're not sure what they're getting out of. And you mentioned Schwartz, you mentioned Delpit, you, you know, Jacob Phillips goes in that as well. You mentioned the rookie fifth round. I mean, there's only 53 spots. How many spots can you sacrifice to guys that you don't know what, if anything, you're going to get from them? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question and a complicated one. You know, I would say this, um, what they had 85 guys today, right? They'll be at 80 by Tuesday. So 53 make it and 16 make the practice squad. So pretty much your guys are in the mix here. But in, in the, what you're talking about is, is exposing guys to the waiver wire or even when they go on the practice squad, another team can sign them at any time. You know, the Browns have, have been on both ends of that last year um, and, and for many years in the past. Yeah, you know, it is a depth issue, and it's not necessarily about what Swartz, about what Delpit, about Felton, about Blake Hans versus Michael Dunn, right? Like, it's not necessarily about what they give you in week one as much as it is you know you're going to need those guys at some point. If you didn't think you were going to need offense, nine offensive linemen over the course of the year, you wouldn't keep nine offensive linemen, right? If you didn't think that Dearness Johnson couldn't close a game out for you um, or score, uh, you know, convert a third and two run for you, if he needs to in week nine, then you wouldn't keep him, right? But you, you, you cut him and some other team picks him up to be their third back and special teams player, then you don't have him. So that is hard. Um, and again, you know, I've covered a lot of camps here and a lot of preseasons where I've watched the bottom of the roster and you don't know, like, guys could ascend or you think, oh, I don't know. They, they, there's clearly not enough tight ends here. There's clearly not enough corners here. They have to go get one. Whereas this this roster is the opposite. Is like, man, there's 60 NFL players here and they're going to need 60 to 65 guys, even if the season's only 18 weeks long, right? Especially if it's 19 or 20. But, man, some really complicated decisions lie ahead. Okay, I want to jump back to JOK for a second. So, so I mean, he's being fast tracked now, right? With Phillips out, what is his role now? What is this gonna? What is he gonna look like on the field? Well, he looks fast, uh, but he also looks small. I mean, you're sitting in the press box next to me today. When they're in the pile, can you really tell the difference between the safeties, the corners, and JOK? He looks like a corner. Correct. So he runs like one. That's the good news, and that's why you trade up and get him. Um, eventually, when the real games start. 
right? Like teams are going to sort him out and they're, they're going to run the ball right at him. Um, he's going to have to get off blocks and he's going to have to learn to protect himself. The good news is, you know, he is a freaking heat seeking missile and he's not going to cover slot guys like he did sometimes in college, but he gives you that flexibility, especially with the safety situation. Like he could play safety's role in some packages. So what I think it will be, and, and we're all waiting to see how Joe Woods deploys this defense when he has his dudes, right? We've heard a lot about three safeties. We heard a lot about how he could only play the kind of dime that he wanted 16 snaps the whole year last year because they were so short on personnel. They were just basically sitting back, right? But, like, in an ideal world, you can mix and match Miles and Clowney. You can mix and match Walker to an extent. You know, obviously you're not going to have Phillips until December. But you can use JOK in different spots to where that offense has to guess. Is he man for man on our tight end? Is he dropping in his own and he can close on these? Or is he blitzing? Because I, I think he is quick enough uh, and fast enough to get in there on blitzes and blow up those longer step drops. So I just think it's a matter of how he's going to be used. I think it will be a specific package where it's he and Walker or he and Wilson or whoever is, is the couple of linebackers. But again, like, you know, we don't know right now about Greedy Williams. <laughs> We don't know, right? Ronnie Harrison's had one week of practice, right? Grant Delpit has had no weeks of practice. He's had on and off days. He's had nine team snaps the whole drill or the whole the whole camp, and we're a month in, right? So, yeah, my, my answer is you're going to use JOK, and you're going to utilize those talents to make your defense quicker and add to the range. But it's not like you're going to play him 70 snaps right away, and it's not like he's just going to go in and dominate from the start because that's just not how it is. I mean, he's he's a safety playing linebacker, and he is a rookie on a defense with really high expectations. I want to get to Greedy in a minute. I'm glad you mentioned him. But, uh, you know, I got a story going up tomorrow, uh, going up Monday morning about, like, five things I like about this team and five things I'm concerned about. And I got to tell you, I could have come up with a lot more than five things I like about this team. Like, obviously, I really, really like this team, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. But I got to tell you, the couple of concerns – that I have feel like it could bring the whole thing down. And that's just the, the lack of depth along. I mean, you know, we've been talking about the secondary to me, the front seven is a huge concern. We've talked about the Phillips loss already. And I, I'm just, I'm just not as big on Clowney as I guess everyone else in Cleveland is. I, I just, I don't see it. I think he's going to get hurt. He's always hurt. And then what do you do? And, and we've talked about on this podcast before, you can't count on Tack McKinley. Is he even going to be back at all? It just feels like there's only a couple of yeah buts on this team, but they're so significant that one or two injuries could derail everything. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, I love the concept of Clowney, and specifically with Clowney and, and Garrett together and, you know, mix and match linebackers behind them, right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're really thin. And in going to sign Tack McKinley, and then going to sign Clowney at the expense of losing Sheldon Richardson um, and then not drafting an edge rusher, right? You have said, well, clearly there's going to be a fall off on anybody's paper from Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney to whoever's next, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. But now Tack hasn't been with the team for three weeks. We've seen Port Augustin, who is a nice story and is a capable NFL player. He made two plays all year last year, right? The other day they were running punt team on field three and they were calling for Joe Jackson and he was on field one in another drill. 
right? He got. Did you see? Did you hear Joe Jackson's name called out here today? I mean, I'm not trying to call him out. Like Cam Malvo was playing in the XFL two years ago. He's been the starting defensive end for the last two weeks. Yeah, he put on 20 pounds. Yeah, he 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 did all right for the Browns when they needed him last year when Miles got COVID. You think Cameron Malvo's helping you win the AFC title? No. So, um, yeah, really thin up front. And even in the defensive tackle spot, I don't think it's a good thing that Jordan Elliott, your third-round pick last year, is out here playing in the fourth quarter of this meaningless preseason game. And We didn't even know who he was. You had to look yes. <laughs> right, and, like, I like Malik Jackson, and Malik Jackson is an accomplished player in this league, and they went and got him because he has natural inside pass rush ability, which is hard to find. But he's 31 years old. You know, he's, his best days are behind him. And, again, you're talking about a team that's trying to play into January. So we'll see. Andrew Billings is out here playing. Why? Because he needs to play himself in shape. He hasn't played football in two years. Oh, So, I mean, you look at the situation, and it is about matchups. And this is what's fascinating about this whole Joe Woods, whole everything as we go through. But, like, against the Kansas City Chiefs, you're not going to play base defense except on a handful of plays. So how is Andrew Billings going to help you there? He's he's not. You need these other guys. And and again, in August, I'm not sitting here counting out Tommy Togiai and Jordan Elliott or any of these guys. And it was nice to see Malik McDowell make that play today. But Malik McDowell got drafted in 2017, and he's never played in an NFL game, guys. So I appreciate and I trust Andrew Barry did above and beyond the background work necessary in giving Malik McDowell a chance. But – until I see significantly different, I can't see that that's much more – that's any more than giving a guy a chance um, and even close to a guy that the Browns think is going to help them win and win at a high level. So the good news about this, and, I, and I've said this all along, Jason, I still have major questions about this defense. But Miles Garrett is so good that there's no way to put fair expectations on him one way or another. And regardless of how the rest of the defense is going to shake out, and it's going to take weeks, hopefully not months, but, you know, all these things, Ward and Garrett is a pretty darn good place to start. And a lot of teams would take that. Yeah, if Denzel is on the field, he's another one you can throw on those injury concerns. But I I just want to step back and get your impressions on just the entire end of the week here, the Giants in town, the joint practices. I thought Baker had a really, really good day Thursday. Njoku and Landry came up with some big catches, obviously. Uh, Friday, I thought he felt a lot more heat. You know, the Giants came to play a little bit more on Friday. He also had a third-string center snapping to him, which probably why he had so much traffic in his face. But, you know, I mean, obviously we haven't seen Baker in any preseason games, but just your impressions on the Giants in town Thursday, Friday, and then the preseason game today. I think it was a very good week for the Browns passing game. Uh, I thought Baker and Jarvis absolutely dominated Thursday's practice. I thought Baker threw, uh, carried himself with a level of confidence and threw with a level of confidence that we hadn't seen. And I think some of it, Jason, is just you go through camp, right? And it's the dog days and everything is scripted. So some days you're working on new things. Some days you're working on things you're not good at. And regardless of where you're at with those things, the defense you're playing against, you play against them every day and they know what's coming, right? (laughs) So, like, the Giants get here, and they start running their best stuff, their bootleg stuff, their isolate Jarvis Landry stuff, and the ball's moving, right? And in the ball, you've been in practice a handful of times, more than a handful of times. The ball's been on the ground an awful lot, right? Well, the ball wasn't really on the ground Thursday and Friday, not near at the percentage um, that it was early in camp. So, you know, Baker has never hidden anything from us, right? Uh, and I'm not trying to pride in anybody's personal lives. I'm saying he's a body language guy, and – press conferences he gives, the way he conducts himself on the field, but more than anything, even in between the drills, 
when he's talking to the guys, when he's getting coached or take, you know, giving coaching um, between like you see a quarterback that's confident and finally has the chance to grow in this system to do, you know, get to that next step. And, and I think there are still gears for this offense that it can hit. I, I, I really do. It's not all on Baker. He's a big part of that. But I think this was a successful week for that. Now, I know Clowney's not there. I know Ward's not there. I know Miles isn't there. You saw the same red zone drill I, I saw on Friday against Daniel Jones. If the Browns play like that, Patrick Mahomes will put up 65 points. That's terrifying. And, and, <laughs> and, and not incorrect, by the way. <laughs> Correct. So, uh, again, you know, you're playing – basically, Joe Woods probably – I don't even want to say he has all his packages in. We'll hear from him this week, so we'll get a better feel for that. But they're they're playing to the reps, right? He has scripted who's in when and, and what they think they're facing. And, and you do see new things from the Giants, and that's good. That That's a step along the way on your checklist of doing things. So the success in this defense lies in a few things. One, Miles Garrett. Two, forcing turnovers, which last year we saw the Browns do a phenomenal job of forcing them and converting them. And then three, how it works out with the JOKs, with the Grant Delpits, with the Ronnie Harrisons, with the Clownies, with all of these guys who could do new things. Troy Hill, who brings an inside-outside presence seven years in the league. Greg Newsom, who you picked in the first round because you believe he'll eventually be a big, strong, like number one corner type. And right now you think he's he's smart and athletic enough to at least go out there and compete, right? Um, they've given Greedy every chance. I don't know what's up with this injury. Um, we'll see. But you're going to need all those guys over the course of the year. So I, I think what I'm trying to say is I think how all those pieces fit and how you can out-scheme people comes third. You know, you got to get healthy and guys have to perform. And for a long time, we've seen this team not cover tight ends, not be a good tackling team, not all of those things. Well, Miles can make up for a lot of deficiencies. And we saw last year Miles swing five or six games. He didn't win them by himself, but, man, he he did his part. And if that happens again, if Miles wins five or six games, the Browns will win 11 or 12 or more, right? Um, eventually, I think there are better pieces on this defense. I just see specifically with the depth and – in the secondary, not really having any rhythm. You know, I think John Johnson is a huge upgrade, and obviously he's not playing out here in the preseason games for a reason. But I just saw it look really way, way, way too easy for Daniel Jones at parts on Friday. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, I, I got one more on on Baker, but let's jump to Greedy because you mentioned it again and it triggered what I wanted to ask you about it. It, it. Greg Newsom looks like a better player to me right now than Greedy Williams, but that may not be fair because Greedy, Greedy's barely been on the field. Friday he walked off the field during stretching with what I can assume was a groin. I probably it was, felt it then. It was a up. migraine. It was a migraine. All right. Well, there you go. I was wrong. <laughs> uh, so, but, but then he leaves today's game with the groin, and, you know, maybe he's back Tuesday. You know, who knows? We'll see. But it just feels like it's one thing after another after another for him. And with Greg, I, I, I like the confidence. I like the swagger. He's not intimidated. He's not shy of the moment. Had the big interception against the Giants to end practice on Thursday. And and I hear what you're saying, and I agree. Can you really throw a rookie corner out there against Patrick Mahomes week one? They're going to throw at him 30 times. But I got to tell you, it feels to me like Greg Newsom is it, Greg Newsom and Denzel Ward are the two best cornerbacks on this team right now. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, you know, I would think maybe Troy Hill would have something to say to that. In an ideal world, Troy will play in the slot, but but can give you outside snaps. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Greg Newsom from day one, the Browns sit and look and say, okay, this is the guy we drafted. The reasons we drafted him are clear. He, he's athletic. He's smart. He's competitive as hell, and he has shown up around the ball, and, th- and that's been encouraging. So, I just think you you would prefer to go gradual with a guy like that. Um, you, you know. Every corner gives up plays, but you with a rookie, you worry about his confidence, right? And you worry about him just settling in, th- thinking, I don't need to do too much. I need to do my role here, right? So, yeah, I, I think all of those are fair takes, and I don't know what's up with Greedy anyway, but if like if he's going to miss a week or two, it's not necessarily that, that all of a sudden Greg Newsom has to step in because you have Troy there as your insurance policy. It's that Denzel hasn't practiced in a few weeks. Troy Hill just turned 30, right? And now who's that next guy? Well, MJ Stewart hasn't practiced in two weeks. And the other guy's AJ Green, who's not ever played in the NFL and spent his rookie season mostly on the practice squad and at no point resembled an NFL player. So he's made a couple plays in camp, but like when you go play Kansas City, you're going to play about four snaps of base defense and about 40 snaps of four corners on the field. <laughs> Right. So uh, and it doesn't all come down to week one, but you see how how you tick these things off. So I, if your overall point is that Greg Newsom's really impressive and looks like he's going to be a good NFL player and, and that's a notch in the Browns personnel department's belt and it's a good thing for this defense, then, yes, I, I completely agree how it fits right now. And, and if you know how much time Greg really needs to get to that next point or can he really be. I mean, Denzel was awesome as a rookie, right? Can he be nearly that good? Well, if he can, then I think that's great for the Browns. I'm not sure that he. it's fair to really think any any rookie corner can do that. Yeah, well, so let's jump back to, to Baker for a second because, you know, I mentioned this to you during the game. Uh, 
our, our terrific OU writer, Jason Kersey, you know, we leaned on him a little bit when Baker first got to Cleveland and, and Jason, I don't think he would mind me sharing with saying how terrific Baker is to deal with, with the media and how relaxed he is and, and how funny he is. And, and, and really we haven't seen that guy. And in fact, in some of my conversations with Jason over the years since Baker's been here, he's like, wow, I like, I don't know what happened to him. That's what you're describing is not at all who Baker was in that we had here in Norman. And I felt like, this week was, I guess, Friday he talked. That was the first time that felt like the Baker that Jason was describing from, from Oklahoma. Now, we analyze, we overanalyze, and we scrutinize, and we overscrutinize every single thing. But is there anything that can be read into that about, like, he felt he looked relaxed, he was funny, like he was joking around, and it wasn't a battle. Everything wasn't a battle, where in the past it's felt like – Everything was the battle. Now, how he does with the media has nothing to do with how he plays on the field. I'm just wondering. It just it just struck me that for the first time, I felt like I saw the guy that our OU writer had dealt with for a number of years. I agree because it struck me too. Um, and and I have watched not every day and not every drill, but I have tried to make a point when we're out there for two hours a day or whatever it is um, to watch Baker. Obviously, his reps, but to watch him immediately after them. And I have seen – I mean, there was the one day where he just went nuts and he took most of the blame. I mean, they, it was pretty bad. They ran a red zone drill and didn't complete a pass. And he used a lot of colorful words in describing how pathetic it was that the first-team offense of an NFL playoff team couldn't complete a pass in a red zone drill. But most days, I'm telling you, I'm watching him go over to Alex Van Pelt and listen to the play calls. I'm watching him not grab receivers and, like, make a scene, but, like – Hey, this is where you're supposed to be. Like, hey, see what happens? See what we were missing before? Like, I've seen an ease about his his game and his movements. And, like, it just seems like he is so much more comfortable with, with whatever's coming. You know? And, and that is the Baker that comes off as the guy they've always wanted. Now, I think a little bit his shtick has always been, I'm always looking for a fight. Right? I'm, I'm always on edge. I've always been doubted. And, and let's go do it. But... I'll give him credit. I mean, I want Baker to come out and tell us what he really thinks about the contract situation. He hasn't taken the bait, <laughs> right? I want Baker to come out and say I fully embrace all of this pressure and I know that winning 11 games and finishing in second place and not making the AFC title game won't be good enough. He hasn't said it. He's come out and he's said, we're about the work. Everybody's on the same page. We're trying to get a little bit better. And we're not getting big heads about last year and we're not getting um, – you know, too down about that shitty team drill you saw yesterday. We're getting on to the next thing. And I never really care too much what a guy says in the press conference, but that is the player that I have seen go from drill to drill from Monday to Tuesday, right? From two straight days of Giants practices. And now as we shift the focus to we're not going to be watching camp and they're going to get ready for the ones that count. I, I just, I have to assume he's in a really good place. You know, we were talking during the game about the fact that Vegas has them between you know, 10, 10 and a half wins pretty much across the board and, and Vegas is rarely wrong. So, you know, when you talk about this team has the potential to be a 12 win team, I agree. And, and when you talk about the difference in a nine win team and a 12 win team, it comes down to six. Doesn't that have a lot to do with whether this team goes nine and eight or 12 and five is, is how six plays. Sure. Um, there's going to be times when he's going to need them, need to lead them back. Right. Like, like Cincinnati last year. Um, uh, 
well, I think it was the last nine games or the last eight games, he was 16 touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, if he does that, then they can win 13 games and certainly play at home in January, right? But, yeah, I think he is one of them. Obviously, the defensive depth and just the defensive maturity and production as they go along. Um, you know, We hear Cody Parkey did, got a quad injury today. It seems like this is very much a real kicking competition. Um, I worry about that. These are going to be close games. These are going to be high-stakes games. And in honor of seeing the man in the press box today, I'll just say this, Jason. It was a shit show under Charles Frederick Kitchens in 2019. It really was. But if they execute a little better in the red zone in the Rams game and the Seattle game early, maybe everything's different, right? Like, they win the second half last year against the Colts, and that's a huge win. They go to Cincinnati, and Odell gets hurt, and everything's against them. Peoples-Jones goes out there not knowing where he's supposed to be, and Baker throws it to him, and he scores a touchdown. Like, how do you perform in those situations will determine so many games. And, you know, for everybody's blood pressure, you think it's you hope it's three or four games and not nine or ten games like that. But, yeah, there's going to come moments when Baker needs to deliver. And is it to win one game? Is it to win one playoff game? Is it to change the whole trajectory of the franchise? We'll see. But um, we'll see how he does. But, yeah, I, I think – I, I, the one NFL cliche that is so true is the quarterback gets gets too much um, blame when they lose and too much praise when they win. But I also think it's the, the quarterback is a big part of the ceiling of your team, and I don't think there's any runner from that either. I'm glad you mentioned the the. It does look like a real kicking competition, and you know, I'm I'm no medical expert or football expert, but I'm pretty sure a kicker needs his quad. And to see Chase McLaughlin bang through a 49-yarder with plenty of leg to spare at the end of this game here today, you know, I, I am by no means a Cody Parkey fan. You know, I, I was surprised at how quickly they moved on from Austin Siebert, and I would like to have seen him stick around a little bit longer. Uh, Parkey instills zero confidence in me. But at the same time, this is such a difficult stadium to kick in in the winter, um, you know, especially at the, at the what is it, I guess the, the north end or the south end. I'm getting my... The North End. So, do you really want to go with yet another guy who's never done it before in the stadium and have him learn on the fly? At least Parky's got a little bit of experience with that. Who's going to win this kicking job from what you've seen so far? Well, from what I've seen so far, Parky is going to win it. But I think it's Cody Parky versus Chase McLaughlin versus whoever else is available. And of the many reasons I think they want it to be Cody Parky is he has more experience. He's done it last year. He's kicked in this stadium. I don't think you want a rookie kicker, right, on this team. Chase McLaughlin's not a rookie. He's got, I think, 28 career kicks and 15 career, you know, 15 or 18 career games, something like that. But, you know, I, we obviously don't know the extent of Parkey's injury. Um, we do know that his longest make last year was from 46. That's not good. This is 2021 in the NFL, right? And that's not to say he couldn't have made a longer one in the right situation. And to tell you the truth, I think he had one stretch of two or three bad games last year. And other than that, he was pretty good. But whether it's in Kansas City or week four, week week eight, whenever, he, he trots out for a big kick. How are Browns fans going to feel? Not real confident. How's Andrew Barry going to feel sitting in the owner's suite? I don't know how, how confident. So I think there are some kickers around the league that they'll take a look at, waiver wire, potentially trade-wise. Uh, obviously, if, if he has any type of significant injury, um, that weighs in because cut down day is August 31st. It is 10 days away. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, there's, um, 
nervous moments involved with the kicking game. I think it's it's pretty clearly trending in the direction of Demetric Felton being your return man is a way to to use him and get him used to the return game. Uh, I think they feel like when they get their linebackers and safeties back that their kick coverage can be better than it was a year ago. But like the average fan and the average person who has a podcast after the game doesn't doesn't really give a shit, Jason, about who covers kicks or how many the Jamie Gillen coffin corners, right? Do you make the field goal? at the end of the first half, or more specifically at the end of the fourth quarter, because those are the ones we remember. Well, we just watched a four-quarter game, and I think we spent four seconds talking about it. Uh, I'll let you – you asked me what stood out to me. I'll throw it back to you, ask you if there's anything at all memorable from this game that you saw, and then wrap it up and get us out of here. No, I I think – you know, I think if you asked Stefanski that he would say that there was two-minute drills involved at the end of each half, and that's good experience. And it, obviously most of the players that were involved in them won't be out there, especially early in the year. But I think for the coaches and for the overall operation, they love to do that. You can't simulate that stuff. So, no, I just – I think it was really hot. And, um, you know, you hate Greedy Williams and Cody Parkey. We don't know. But you didn't – you know, didn't play starters, so you didn't lose starters. You got Peoples-Jones some work and Higgins some work, and you got them the heck out of there. So – no, to me, it was always a uh, I'll probably be done writing by the end of the third quarter kind of game. Are we going to see Baker or anyone of significance next week? I'm going to leave the door cracked on that, but I've believed all along that if things went well that he wouldn't play the starters. And it is on turf um, next week. I just think there's time to get your work in, and I think it feels really good about the two days of work here. Um, camp's been long, and it's mostly been jogged through periods for the Browns, but I think they're on pace. I, I, I think they like what they've done. And even after that game next Sunday, right, so you'll get a couple days to cut the guys or give the players a few days off, you'll still have a full week before you would get into your normal practice routine to where you can push some buttons. You can give the guys a couple days off, but you can have some real practices. And then you get in and you can still do a full padded practice Kansas City week to make sure you're you're good. I, I just, you know, Andy Reid's playing his starters, Jason. Well, they have four off, four new offensive linemen. The Browns have zero new offensive linemen. I think that right there is the whole difference in how you approach it. And so he might want to say, let's let's get the guys out there, let's see Miles and Clowney explode, and let's let Baker um, throw some rollout passes at, at, at you know at game speed. But my lean right now pretty heavily would be that we're not going to see the starters. We're going to see Case Keenum. We're going to see Kyle Oletta. We're going to see Richard LeCount. And we're going to see Davion Davis next Sunday night in Atlanta. Yeah, if you haven't played him to this point, I just don't see the benefit now. Like, if you've gone this long, you might as well keep him in bubble wrap and then unleash it. You can get the work in that you need. I think these were two really important days today, or, you know, Thursday, Friday, with the Giants in town. Put him in bubble wrap and bring him out September 12th. Yeah, I mean – I was listening to a couple different shows, actually, that were trying to present it as new school versus old school. Like Ron Rivera's played his starters. Andy Reid's played his. Well, you know, Joe Judge brought his team here. They were here for five days. You know, two two pretty heavy days of going at it in practice. That's certainly the heaviest practices of Browns camp that we've seen, right? Well, the Giants do it again next week with New England. New England's done it all three weeks, joint practices. And, and Belichick has played his starters in both games, right? So... Not all of them, but but most of them. So the, there is different precedent. There is different situation. But I, I I think 
the trend is get your work on the practice field. And I think those always mattered to Stefanski. He had them lined up with last year with Green Bay um, because he wanted to do it. And I think the, those two days were the, were always – I've been saying this when we talked about this in June and May, right? Those were always the two days that mattered most to him. And, and I also agree with your thought of if you haven't done it now, why do it? So I, I think you'll see Odell get in some seven-on-seven seven or at least some one-on-one -on -one stuff this week. I think you'll see Miles and Clowney back in practice, but I still lean – if I was making a line, it'd be heavily, heavily, heavily tilted towards no starters with the exception of, of three to four younger guys uh, in that preseason finale. In other words, no reason to watch that one either, and we'll no. see you September 12th. <laughs> no, and really, guys, no reason for you to keep listening to us. We've done like 35 minutes here, but uh, – I just want to say thank you guys for listening. Hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already. Hope you read. We appreciate the feedback uh, on doing this. We're in a routine where these will be twice a week now in, in some form or fashion. Um, the, the joint practices were really fun, and Jabril Peppers doesn't play for the Browns anymore, but he cemented his status as one of my all-time favorite players. He spent five to six minutes on Friday standing in the middle of the practice field just yapping, begging for anyone on the Browns to pay any attention to him. At one point, Joe Judge went up grabbed Jabril, talked to him for five or six seconds, presumably telling him to shut up and go away. Jabril put his helmet down, walked six feet the other direction, then spun around away from his coach and started yapping at the Browns again. It was an all-time, all-time performance. And I don't know what was real, what was not. I did see the, the Troy Hill, Sterling Shepard dust-up that only lasted five seconds or so. But Jabril's a great guy, and he's really well-liked. And on Thursday after practice, Jason, there was a lot of hugs and a lot of love from Jabril and a lot of the Browns players. And on Friday after practice, Jabril found two Giants defensive linemen to walk off the field with. Smart guy, by the way. And walked directly to the buses. Did not say hi to one guy on the Browns. Like There, there, there was some real beef, and uh, it was fun. It, it was competitive, and it was fun. Yeah, I was glad to be out there. And the only thing I would add to that is, you know, Kevin Stefanski did tell me this week that he wants it to be an annual occurrence. Obviously not with the Giants, but I would expect more and more of this. I don't know if they're going to go to the Patriots route of one every week, but I think you can get used to seeing joint practices involving the Browns and training camps as long as Kevin Stefanski's here. And right. I mean, we'll see if Kevin Stefanski can become the second coach of the Haslam era to make it to his third season. So let's not book any plane tickets. I like his odds. <laughs> and to go back to the start of the show, I'll close on this. Guys, I was there in Soldier Field the night the Browns went 4-0 in the preseason before they went 0-16 in the regular season. I was walking, and I heard the cheers. Hugh was leading the cheers in the locker room. They were celebrating the shit out of being 4-0 in the preseason. We've all moved on. It's a new era in Browns football, and thank you for listening to Civilized Barking as we go through it.